Hello and welcome to episode David Jerzynski of the Cosper Pointcast. I'm your host, Trevor Shackles, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Colin Cudmore. Today is a special holiday episode, and for that, we brought in a first-time guest and Senator's writer for The Athletic, Haley Salvian. How's it going, Haley? Good, good, thanks. How are you? Not too bad, yeah. Uh, really happy we could get you on today, especially as someone who hasn't been a guest so far, so it's something different for us. Um, but yeah, we wanted to have you on today to present this episode as sort of a Christmas wish list for the Senators. It's something we've done in the past, previous years. Um, and we, we, know, we know you've been around the team for the past few months, getting some good insight, and we thought we could talk about things that we'd theoretically ask for Christmas regarding Senators. Um, obviously, you're coming into this from a bit of a different perspective as a journalist and not a fan, but uh, do you want to start out with, uh, start first with something that you could, that could be on a wish list for Senators this year? Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, I think the first thing I would say is you know, just like a pen um, to sign some of these uh, <laughs> pending UFAs. They have 10 of them coming up. So you're going to need a pen to either uh, get some guys to sign the dotted line, um, you know, before July 1st when they hit free agency and some of them get scooped up or um, or even a pen just to sign off on a trade. I think it's, uh, it's going to be... Once we come back from Christmas, I think things are going to get pretty busy here. Um, but yeah, I would definitely uh, say one of the top things on a Christmas wish list for a Senators fan, for the team itself, for the front office, is to more specifically get Anthony Duclair signed. Do you have any insight as to what kind of deal he would even be looking for? Because obviously he's, he's been on a couple one-year contracts recently. Um, but, you know, he's he's been on fire. He's at 21 goals already. Um, what do you think he's going to be asking for? And, and what do you think Ottawa would even be willing to sign him for? Um, yeah, and I think that's interesting. I mean, I, I think if you're Duclair and his agent, when you see he's putting up career numbers right now, I think they're probably going to be asking for, I, I think, maybe around four or five. And that's not me saying that I have insider knowledge on it. I think it's just looking at, you know, what he could be asking for. Um, but I think for the Senators, they're, and, and like you said, he's been signed to a few one-year contracts here and there, and I'm sure they probably are looking to lock up some term here. But I, I think if you're the Ottawa Senators, you probably want to sign him to a one- or two-year deal. And, and he has arbitration rights, so the Senators will probably come in lower than Duclair probably wants and Duclair and his agent will probably come in higher than the senators want to do. And I think an arbitrator will probably um, deal with that, but really all the senators have to do is tender an offer that's equal to what he's making right now. Uh, and forgive me. I feel like that's, um, let me just, do you guys know that off the top of your head? I'm kind of forgetting on that one, but I don't think he's making anything too crazy. Oh yeah. It's 1.65 this year. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, if he's an RFA with arbitration, the Senators don't really need to offer him much because um, mm -hmm. he's still in team control. But I think Duclair is probably going to be wanting a lot more than 1.65 after the year he's yeah. having. But um, I think the Senators, before they can lock him into a longer-term, really expensive deal, I think they need to see if he can do this again. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I don't see them caving into, you know, a an off like a big uh, contract. Mm -hmm. Yeah, de definitely. And, and you mentioned there's a whole bunch of other UFAs as well. I mean, th there's there's the list goes on and on. There's Nemestikov, who they traded for earlier. Um, Jean Gabriel Pajot also having a career year. 
is uh, another big UFA. On top of that, Mark Borowiecki, who's kind of become a fan favorite this season, also UFA. Um, and the list goes on, but is is out of all these UFAs, are there any you think that the Sens might be more keen on re-signing, and, or are there any that you may think may be out of the team by the time the trade deadline rolls around? Um, yeah, I, I think, and I think Mark Borowiecki has been one that, especially just the way that he's been playing, that's been brought up um, as well. I think if there's, you know, a playoff team, I'm sure some teams who are going for the playoffs, they're going to want somebody who plays that kind of uh, hard-nosed game that Boro plays. Um, but I just don't know what they're going to get in return for him. Um, so I, I don't know. I feel like, you know, moving forward, if Mark Borowiecki is a good seventh defenseman to have, if he continues playing the way that he is and the coaching staff really likes him. So I am more swaying towards re-signing Mark Borowiecki and Dylan DeMello. I think they have a lot of really young defensive prospects coming through the pipeline, and uh, but they're going to take some time to to truly be ready to handle all those minutes, and they're going to need some you know more, more veteran guidance. And I think you saw yesterday, and you may have heard if you listened to the post game stuff, Mark Borowiecki, you know, was kind of giving. Eric Brandstrom, some little coaching and, and just some words of guidance on the bench. And, and I just think that's so invaluable, whether he scores, you know, two goals again, you know, he regresses to two goals or he continues scoring and playing really well. I think that's super um, valuable for young guys like Brandstrom who went through some confidence issues to have a veteran guy say, <clears throat> look, you're an amazing hockey player. You're he, I think he even said, he's like, you're way better than me. Like, just be confident in yourself. Like, you're a first-round draft pick. You can do this. Um, and it's little things like that that I think makes Mark Borowiecki more valuable to re-sign than trading him somewhere for, like, a third or fourth-round draft pick. Um, I think so it's amazing. one for me. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. Um, I was just quickly going to say, I, I just think it's amazing the, the character arc that we've seen with Borowiecki over the past couple seasons because, uh, you know, Colin and I were definitely some of his bi- biggest critics a couple of years ago. And now, I, you know, Colin last episode was saying I th- he thinks he should be the captain. So um, it's just pretty amazing to see um, how much love he's gotten this season. And, and I think it's well-deserved. Uh, but yeah, that's, a, that's just what I wanted to interject there. Yeah, and it's funny because for me, I'm brand new here. And I mean, I grew up in in the GTA. I lived in Toronto for, I think, seven years when I was in school and I worked there. I covered the Toronto Marlies, so I wasn't exactly dialed in on Ottawa Senators stuff. So coming in here and meeting Mark and getting to know him and on a, like that professional level in the locker room and then seeing the way he's playing, I was just like, oh, like, he's not bad. He's a nice guy. Like Mark Borowiecki's great. And then you see some of the stuff on Twitter and it's it was very polarizing to start the year. I think I remember tweeting something and I was like, sign, resign Mark Borowiecki, you cowards. And everyone was just like, why? He's not a good defenseman. I was like, ah, what, what, I don't get it. Like I, cause I haven't been here for all the history of that. Right. So mm-hmm. it's, uh, but you're kind of starting to see a lot of people change their minds about him. Um, and I think that is, uh, that speaks really highly to um, him as a 30 year old, still working on improving his game, but also the coaching staff for, for really helping him out this year. Yeah, for sure. And and you mentioned his his work with the defensive prospects, and the Suns are going to have two more defensive prospects joining uh, next year as well, hopefully. And that brings me to my first item on my wish list, and it, that is a excellent rest of the season for uh, the two prospects, Lassie Thompson and Jacob Bernard-Docker. And here at the Cosper Point Guest, we're really hyped about the Suns' prospects right now, and uh, we've seen both these guys go into the World Juniors 
and um, that's my wish is, is that if they can have um, a stellar performance, if they even do what half of what Thomas Shabbat did just a couple years ago with the Pro Juniors and 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 uh, totally dominate there, that that would make me happy. So um, to see progression from them would not only be great for them personally, but uh, if you look at the Sens depth chart right now, um, they're really lacking on defense in at this point. Besides Shabbat and maybe a couple other people like uh, uh, Brandstrom, and maybe if Demela ends up returning, um, that right side especially will need some help in the next year. So if Lassie Thompson or Bernard Docker uh, could end up stepping into um, maybe even an NHL role next season, that would be uh, excellent. So I'm just hoping for um, a great rest of the season from them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I don't know if you uh, have been following them closely, Haley, but uh, do you have any sense as to if either one of them would even have a chance ne- next season? Um, and, you know, I don't get to follow them too much, and I haven't gotten to see Lassie Thompson play uh, a lot. And I think with and I think with the World Juniors coming up, I'll obviously get to take an, a better look at both of them. Um, but, you know, I think it's really difficult for a young player to step in uh, on the blue line, you know, their first year. Well, I guess Lassie Thompson, it wouldn't be his first year pro because he's technically playing pro in Finland right now. But I think it's really difficult. And I think that's a lot of pressure to put on a young player. And um, I, I personally think that those two guys will probably need, you know, two years before they're like dependable, you know, minute munching NHL defensemen. Um, and I think that kind of goes back to the Mark Borbietsky and Dylan DeMello being UFA conversations. Um, I think signing, and I've written about this, but I think signing Dylan DeMello to a bridge deal is really important for this team because um, they're going to need somebody who can reliably play at the NHL level on the blue line yeah. for that two to three years it's going to take for these two prospects to really truly be ready. Um, like, sure, you could probably bring them up and, and put them in, but are they going to be any good? Is it going to regress their game? Is it good for their development? Um, I think you see with a lot of really high level talented picks, even like Eric Brandstrom, it it takes a little bit of time. Um, And then if you look over in Toronto too, like Rasmus Sandin, he played a handful of games to start the season and he got sent back down. He looked fine, but that's not what you bring them up. That's not what you draft these guys for. You don't draft them to be fine. You draft them for all of the really incredible things that you see from their game. Um, so I think they're probably two to three years away from being, you know, full-time dependable NHL defensemen. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it was really encouraging to see the the quote from DJ Smith talking about how DeMello is really underrated because I think he's underrated as well. So hopefully that's a good sign that um, they'll be able to re-sign him. Uh, you know, if, if Smith is advocating for for keeping him around, then that's definitely a good sign. Um, in, yeah. in terms of, yeah, sorry, no, did you have something to say? Oh, no, I just said, yeah. And I mean, my colleague, Chris Stevenson with The Athletic, um, he's been really high on DeMello since like he got here last year I think he's mm-hmm. made some comments to mm-hmm. to Dylan and it's just like you should be you should be his agent man like <laughs> you'll probably get him a good payday the way like he's very uh good at articulating why Dylan DeMello is so good he probably should have written the story not me he would have done a better job <laughs> definitely agree with that I, I think uh I think he'll come cheap as well so that's that's definitely something that uh Eugene Melnick and the Senators will love. Um, for my first thing on, on the list, uh, I guess similar theme with the UFAs, 
I I hope that Ottawa is is able to trade some of their rentals for picks and or prospects. Um, some of them are just very obviously very obvious trade candidates. Um, you know, Tyler Ennis has been surprisingly good for them. He's he's he already has more points than he did last season, um, and he's you know he he's a solid bottom six player, but he's not you know he's over the age of thirty now and. Um, he's a UFA in the summer, so if they could move him sir, for like even like a third round pick, I think that'd be good just to, you know, get an extra pick. Um, and then maybe even if they could move someone like Ron Hainsey, um, if they're not keeping Nemesnikov, you know, move him as well. They have they already have a ton of draft picks, but I would like to see them get even more or or trade for prospects or or a young player or something like that. Um, so yeah, I, I actually wrote last week about how how much flexibility dorian has right now and he can go a lot of different directions so I'm, I'm very curious to see what he does with all these upcoming uh ufas and maybe even an rfa like maybe he wants to move someone like chris tierney as well um so they should be getting some some valuable assets coming into uh the trade deadline yeah so is there any players that you may think may have a more likely chance of being dealt at this point or is it uh, still very up in the air i guess the trade deadline is still a bit far away um, yeah, I think it's pretty up in the air, and I think a lot of it kind of hinges on Jean-Gabriel Pajot and, and what him and his camp want. Um, I've kind of said this a few times in the different stuff that I've written, um, but if Pajot wants to test the waters after, you know, a, a, it's probably going to be a, a huge year for him if he continues at this pace, um, you know, he might want to test out what he can earn in the UFA market, and if that's what him and his camp have decided they want, then Pierre Dorian and the Senators need to to capitalize on how he's playing and get something in return. Um, and I think there's been some stuff out there that um, some some GMs would give a first-rounder or like a really high-end prospect uh, for Jean-Gabriel Pajot because he adds a lot to a team, especially if there's someone who's cup contending who needs some center depth. Um, I think the Edmonton Oilers is one. They're... I think they would be really, really interested in Jean-Gabriel Pajot. Um, just think of what he could add to their center depth um, in that organization. It would be kind of uh, scary with what they what they already have going on there with Dreisaitl and McDavid. Um, I, I think, if, and if that's the case, I think if Pajot doesn't want to stay and they trade him, then I think this summer you need then you probably can't trade Chris Tierney. Um, just because you will probably need a few more centers just in case Josh Norris isn't ready and um, just in case maybe Colin White, they keep him on the wing. So you'll probably need that center depth. Um, I am curious about Tyler Ennis and Ron Hainsey because those were guys who came here specifically to follow DJ Smith and play for him. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious if maybe there's something like, no, these guys followed me here. Like you can't flip them like that. Um, they were brought in as veterans, uh, good guys for the room. So I wonder if there's maybe some kind of unspoken um, keep them here for the year kind of thing. Um, that's just me speculating. I'm not sure. Um, yeah, Vlad Nemesnikov is someone who I think he like. I think he's a good depth guy. He's someone that you could keep around again. Who's going to be you know one of those younger veterans to kind of balance out the youth on the team. Or you could flip him and try to get something more than the fourth rounder that you gave up, um, get a third for him because he's playing uh, pretty well. I think, like you said, Dorian has, you know, it's going to be really busy for him considering all the, the 10 UFAs and 
all the RFAs that he has coming. Um, but I think he has a, a lot of wiggle room to do a lot of different things. So I think it's going to be really interesting. Yeah, for sure. And you, you mentioned Pajot as being one of those key pieces in, in, uh, in this whole puzzle right now. And I mean, he, he's, I mean, as you mentioned, he's been having a, a career year, a fantastic year. Um, but there's also kind of the marketability factor, and he's become quite a fan favorite in Ottawa. I mean, he's from Ottawa, grew up in Ottawa. I mean, he has the playoff hat tricks. Um, do you think that fan favorite part will have anything to do with their decision, or do you think it will end up being a purely uh, a hockey decision to trade him? Uh, yeah, I think it's a, it has to come down to a hockey decision. I mean, it's... Yeah, he grew up in Gatineau, right? And he's been here. He's definitely a fan favorite, especially the way he's playing this year. But if if Pajot is telling you, uh, I'm probably, there's a chance that I'm not going to re-sign here in the summer, you can't take that chance and let such a valuable asset walk. You you just can't. Even I know it might upset some fans, but you're going to be way worse if Jean-Gabriel Pajot walks away and signs yeah. with, with Edmonton this summer and you get nothing back but a handshake um you just can't do that even if he is a fan favorite but if Pajot says I want to stay here I don't want to sign anywhere else here's what I want can we make this work and if the Ottawa Senators and and them and, and his camp can make that work then I think you absolutely keep him and that's still just a hockey decision um then then that kind of opens you up then maybe you look at uh trading Chris Tierney um and then you maybe keep Colin White on the wing if he's still not ready to be a centerman. Or like I said, there's just so many different options. But I think a lot of it really just weighs on what Jean Gabriel Pajot wants. Do you think there's any? And we don't know that. <laughs> yeah. Do you think there's any dream scenario where he sort of does an Antoine Vermette, where he where Ottawa trades Pajot for say like a first and and like a okay prospect, and then he resigns in the summer? I don't know. That's, I mean, that's a good question. I personally, I just couldn't see that. I personally, I guess, just don't see the, the point mm -hmm. in that. Like, I don't know why. The, I feel like if I'm Jean Gabriel Pajot and someone trades me to get a few picks, I'm probably kind of mad <laughs> and I don't really want to go back there. Yeah. That's just me personally. Yeah. Um, I don't see that happening. Mm -hmm. It's, yeah, it's rare. Pajot. I mean, I think I've only remember it happening a couple times, but. Um, yeah, I mean that would be absolutely Things amazing. Things get so personal. Um, mm -hmm. I think you like saw with the Mitch Marner negotiations that got so public and so personal online. I just, I don't know, I couldn't see that happening. Not, yeah. not right now. Yeah, for sure. It'd be, it'd be a pretty tricky situation. So so far on our Christmas wish list, we have uh, a pen for re-signing. Uh, we have a great rest of the season and World Juniors for uh, the defensive prospects, and we also have oh, the third one. It was some uh, some trades for the pending UFAs. So, Haley, coming back to you, is there anything else on your Christmas wish list? Yeah, um, good health. Um, I I wish everyone good health. Um, the Sens right now, I think so. Yesterday, before the game against the Flyers, they had 139 um, man games lost. Um, so then, including you know the game last night, you lose a game to Willanen. Nelson, DeMello, Hainsey, Zaitsev, so you're well over. Um, and then Scott Sabrin, you're over 140 man games lost, which is a lot considering they're only uh, 36 games into the season. Um, obviously, having Christian Molainen on there is going to obviously tick that number up since he's missed all 36. 
Um, but then you just look at the blue line and that's been a big conversation and that's why you're seeing Shabbat play so much, but, you know, losing DeMello, Zaitsev and Hainsey. And then, um, there's a bit of a, not a scare, but Brady Kachuk wasn't at practice this morning. Um, he's, uh, they say that he's going to play tomorrow, which is good, but you just don't really want to see anyone else, uh, drop out of the lineup. And I think if the senators can get healthy and their blue line looks better, I mean, they're still playing pretty well. They went to a shootout yesterday against the Flyers with, you know, um, Mark Gorbietsky as your number two guy and Cody Golubov who started the year with, I think, almost 17 healthy scratches as a seventh defenseman on your top pairing. Like, yeah. And they're still playing pretty well, so I think the Senators can put some pretty exciting hockey in front of the fans if they can, you know, minimize how many injuries that they have. Yeah, for sure. And the one player you mentioned earlier was was Christian Malenin, and he's a player that personally intrigues me a lot as someone who doesn't have, who, who I don't think he even has 50 games of NHL experience at this point, but Trevor and I are both big fans of his skill set. And at 24 years old, uh, I mean, he's definitely in his prime right now. But it's also an interesting case that when he, re- when he eventually returns from injury, it'll be a bit tough to see where he fits in the lineup because with Shabbat there and potentially Eric Brandstrom still in the NHL, um, and, of course, Mark Wojewiecki and Ron Hainsey still on the left side as well. And, and the, the list goes on, but where do you think Christian Lennon might end up uh, in the death chart once he returns from injury? Yeah, well, I think for Lennon too, I mean, he hasn't played a game since last season, I guess, right? So he's probably going to need a conditioning stint. They're definitely not going to throw him right up into the NHL. Um, he would probably need to play maybe a few games or maybe they will put him in the NHL as like a more of like a confidence thing for him, you know, heading into the summer, like, Hey, look, we, you know, we know that you missed the whole season, um, but you're still a key piece to this. Like I do think you'll get some NHL games regardless of um, who's up and where people are in the lineup, just to say to him, like, you're still a piece of the puzzle for us because that would probably be hard. Um, whether Willanin or any player would admit it to miss the whole year, go home for the summer, start training, and be like, where do I stand? Um, so I think they would figure that out in a sense of just wanting to get him a few games at the NHL level and move some pieces around, like I said, for for his confidence. And and so he just kind of knows where, where he stands with the organization. But, um, yeah, it's interesting. And I think if you just look towards next year and – and that was something I think I spoke about with somebody with the Borvietsky is, you know, do you sign Borvietsky when you know that you're prob- next season, you're going to have Christian Malena and your Eric Branstrom's probably going to be ready. And you're going to have obviously Thomas Shabbat still. And then you look at Max Lejoie and Yaros, where are they at? So, um, but I think it all just kind of goes back to at the beginning of the season, Christian Malena was penciled in. Um, and Cody Golubov wasn't. He was someone who I think Troy Mann expected to be in his top four in Belleville. And DJ even said it was a tough uh, injury because Willanen was penciled in to be at the NHL level. And um, I just don't think that changes. I think they would, you know, Golubov would probably go back to being a scratch. Um, you know, Branchum could go back to Belleville. But um, I think Willanen's probably going to be a, a piece of the puzzle and an important one for the Senators. Willannon, is he close enough to coming back that Dorian won't have to worry about 
um, trading for another defenseman because I know that was the talk a few weeks ago um, that he was looking for another veteran guy on the back end. Um, I don't know if he's going to be back soon enough in the sense that he's going to give some reprieve for the injuries to like Hainsey or DeMello or Zaitsev. Um, Hainsey's probably going to be back. I think what they said was a week to 10 days. So he should be back after Christmas. So, I mean, there's no good timing for an injury, but it probably helps that the team's going to be off for a few days and they're going to have a little bit of a break. Um, I'm just trying to remember, I believe the initial timeline for Christian was for a minimum four months. Um, and that was three months ago, right? September. They told us yeah. it was at yeah. least four months after tearing his labrum. Um, he's skating. I've seen him out doing some uh, skate work with Shelly Kettles. I believe he said that he's been able to um, shoot some pucks and stuff, but um, he, he started, he did a little podcast or he started a podcast with Graham Creature. Um, which I think is cool. He's a communications major, so I think he's just probably looking for for some stuff to do and and kind of stay uh, relevant and important in this market. So I think it's kind of cool that he's doing it. Um, it's super unique. I've never seen an NHL player do a podcast before while he's still playing. Um, but I think he mentioned on that first episode of the podcast that he had been kind of going out and he was shooting some pucks and he was shooting them kind of hard and and he would have to stop himself and be like, ooh, yeah, my shoulder's starting to hurt a little bit. So um, just see, hearing that, you know, he's skating pretty well. He looks pretty good, but um, he's still shooting pucks and feeling a little bit of pain. Um, and, yeah, that initial timeline was at least four months, and, and that was only three months ago. So I don't think he's going to be back before Dylan DeMello and Nikita Zaitsev are. Mm-hmm. Um, Colin, do you want to go for your next uh, thing on your list? Sure, yeah, so this one's more pertaining to the Belleville Senators, and they've been on quite the roll rate lately, so my Christmas wish for them is that they just make the playoffs this year, and it's been a while since they've seen postseason action, um, and it was back in 2011 where they won it all, but that was with Binghamton, so for a playoff berth for the first time in franchise history for the Belleville Senators, um, I think that would be fantastic, and I think they certainly have the skill, at least up front, um, to be able to make the playoffs. I mean, you look at guys like uh, Drake Batherson, Rudolph Spalzers especially, who has, who hasn't got a game yet. I think it's like up to fourteen or fifteen games at this point. Yeah, he scored a point in every single in every single game this year. Uh, to me, that's just just that's yeah. just crazy that he could he could he can sustain that for this long. Um, of course, Josh Norris as well, and some veteran help on uh, the forward group. Um, and we had Spencer Blake on the podcast recently, who kind of went in depth about this a bit more, but uh, how they just really need a defenseman as well. And even if Marcus Hogberg, I mean, look how well he played last night. If he could, if he ends up going back to Belleville once the goalies get healthy, um, they certainly have the uh, talent in Belleville to be able to make the playoffs. It's just a matter of uh, actually executing it this year. So that's my wish for them. Yeah, and they uh, definitely. I mean, last last season, watching them down the stretch when they, can, do you guys remember how long what what their uh, point streak was? It was like fourteen games or something. They were just. Um, ridiculous down the stretch and you know it, it's been pretty fun to watch them recently um yeah like Haley, have you have you gotten any sense of you know what's what's going on down there in terms of um you know man it, it looks like his his performance has been pretty good the past couple seasons in terms of developing some of these prospects um have you heard anything about just just yeah just what what's going on down there and um how they're developing 
Yeah, well, I think um, one of the things is you notice and it's slowed down a little bit. They haven't uh, been using that 401 shuttle as much, but I think there was a point where you would have, you know, Jonathan Davidson up for, you know, one or two games. Vitaly Bromov would come up. Uh, even Max Verano was getting a look. And I think that was DJ and Pierre's way of saying, like, we have this opening on the fourth line. Let's just try some of these guys out and see what we have. Um, get a gauge on their potential, what we have with these guys. Um, and that can kind of help them with their plans for the future and moving forward. Uh, and I think with everyone that's come up, you know, no one's really wowed anybody. No one's come up and like, I mean, Abramov scored a goal, but then he played three minutes the next night because he was defensively irresponsible and then he got sent back down. Um, but I don't think anyone's really come up and really, really disappointed and been unprepared and, and looked like a deer in the headlights, which I think, DJ has talked about is really a testament to um, what Troy Mann is doing down there. He's really doing a good job. And, and the organization, too, is doing a good job of knowing when to call a guy up and um, letting them stay down there so they can um, prepare and develop and then, you know, pull the trigger when they think that they're ready to come up for a game or um, come up for, you know, a longer stretch. Um, like you've seen with JC Bowden coming up and down and he usually stays for, for at least a little while. Um, and I think that's because Troy Mann is really preparing these guys really, really well. Um, you know, Nick Paul was an example. I think he played for three games. He got cut out of training camp. He only had three games with the Belleville senators. Um, and in those three games, Troy Mann highlighted three things for him and said, if you can get these three things and you can do them better, um, there's no reason you shouldn't be an NHL hockey player. And they really hit those three things home in, in practice, in video, in three games, Nick Paul gets called up. He's told to get a place and he stays in the NHL. Um, and most recently, you see that with Eric Branstrom. I think he had four games in the American League and he's come up and he's already joining the rush and he's already uh, looking a little bit more confident. And that's really a testament to Troy Mann and his video coaches and his staff for highlighting the things that players need to do to excel at the NHL level and, um, you know, being relentless and helping them be better in those areas. Right. And I think that's a, a great segue into my next wish, which was hoping that Eric Branstrom takes the next step uh, in the second half of the season. And you're just mentioning that he was sent down there for four games, looked fantastic in Belleville. Um, and we obviously know that he has the skills. He has the offensive ability, um, but he, he just hadn't shown it very much um, at the NHL level, I should say. But yeah, so I, I think in the second half, if he can show that he can actually play on the second pairing um, and actually show some offensive ability, he ha he's yet to score. Um, I think that would be huge for Ottawa. Uh, obviously, they will already have Christian Willannon, who Colin and I have said that we're very high on, but... I think if they can get Branstrom to really develop into a legitimate top four defender, I think that'd be huge for the team just because they don't really have many set pieces back there besides Shabbat. And then maybe if they re-sign DeMello as well. Yeah. So for Branstrom, because there's so many injuries in the NHL right now, do you think that Branstrom's current call-up is, is just a matter of they needed to call him up because they have so many injuries? Or do you think that their plan is, is to keep him in the NHL long-term? Well, I definitely think the injuries forced their hand. Um, I don't think their initial 
Like, I, I don't think that they would have called him up after only four games if they didn't have these guys um, drop off with injuries um, just because they sent him down for a reason and they really did want him to work through some stuff. And um, But he he's looked good since he's been called up. He has the confidence. Um, he's playing, you know, not bad. He did get muscled pretty badly by Kevin Hayes. Um, but that's just a – that's a youth thing. He's, he's 20 years old, I think, if he – puts on some weight and that'll come with age that you know if he has 10 more pounds on him that first goal yesterday against the Flyers maybe isn't a goal because Eric Brandstrom doesn't get you know pushed off by the bigger stronger Kevin Hayes but um yeah I I definitely don't think it was their plan to have him called up or recalled again that quickly Uh, but the injuries forced their hand but I, I think that if he continues to play this way I don't think they really have a reason to send him back down unless he starts showing signs of regression again, then I think there's no point. And, you know, once they get healthy again, would you rather have Brandstrom back paired with Hainsey or would you have Cody Golubov in that um, top six? So I think if Brandstrom keeps playing this way and then they get healthy, you kind of go back to the Shabbat, DeMello, Hainsey, Brandstrom, uh, Boro, Zaitsev, top six, with Cody Goldbuff of your seventh, and then you have guys like Max Lajoie and England and Jaros and Belleville uh, developing where they should be. But that's only if Eric Brandstrom continues to play this way. If he regresses, then you send him back. Mm-hmm. Colin, wait. Uh, was it yours that was up next or Haley's? I think it was yeah, Haley's, they, right? Yeah, Haley, you can go next. Yeah. We'll, we'll do one more. We'll do one more thing each. Yeah. I guess for me, one thing that's on my Christmas list is I kind of. I'm just hoping for maybe some clarity on Logan Brown. That's one thing that I've been kind of watching intently because I believe that he is like just some of the stuff he does on the ice. He is very, very skilled. Um, but I just don't know if playing under 10 minutes on the fourth line as a left winger is really what Logan Brown should be doing. Um, I think even just with any prospect, uh, especially as a forward, if they're projected to be, top six even top three like if Logan Brown is supposed to be your first line center um, he should not be your fourth line left winger in the NHL right now I think he should be playing the top line center in Belleville and that's not a knock on Logan Brown I think he's an excellent player and I think he's shown signs of being able to contribute at the NHL level and showing that he belongs there but I think just with the players that they have right now and some of the line combos some of the things that are meshing in that top six Um, It's just not giving him the opportunity to be in those positions. Um, And so for me, I just, I just want them to decide what they're going to do with Logan Brown, because I definitely don't think him being the fourth line left winger is, is ideal. I know he would probably say that he would, you know, play any position as long as he's in the NHL, but um, you don't Mm -hmm. want the potential of him losing confidence, losing that skill, losing that vision because of the, the role that he's playing. Um, if he's not given the opportunity to make plays and be on the top line, play on the power play, um, be a centerman. Um, I, I don't know. Uh, that's something I just, yeah, I just don't think it's, it's the combination of the left wing, the fourth line and the under 10 minutes, you know, if he's on the left wing and he's playing 13, that's fine. But it's the combination of all three factors for me that after Christmas, I think I would, you know, personally wish for some clarity on. Yeah. And he's not a player that 
you can't imagine him long-term being a fourth-line player. He's either probably going to be a second, maybe even best-case best case scenario, first-line center, um, or he probably won't be in the NHL. Like, I just can't really imagine him being on the fourth line. He's he's a playmaker, and that's just really not going to fit that well. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see because, I mean, he just has such a great um, skill set that works so well in the power play especially. So if he's not getting those power play minutes, um, uh, whether he gets those in Ottawa or maybe he get, goes gets that in uh, Belleville where he can really hone his craft a bit more. I mean, he especially in the OHL, that's where he really... Um, that's really where he was getting lots of his, his scoring from was on the power play with uh, with Windsor, um, and really made himself a, a, a top like a top pick with his with his power play skill set. So uh, I think that will be the probably the most crucial for or his development at, at this point. Whether he's getting um, where he can hone where he can be in a place where he can really hone his five on five skill set at the same time as just really demonstrate why he can be uh, such a dangerous player on the power play. So yeah, definitely on the on the fourth line. That's just. Uh, really not going to work at this moment uh do you want do you want to go over your last point and then i'll i'll go over uh mine as well sure yeah my my, my last one is just for a bit of lottery luck i mean it, it's going to be another top pick for the Senators this year uh maybe not even as high as it was last year uh which was a bit unexpected but uh i mean every team gets a chance at the draft lottery this year so i'm just hoping that the lottery balls can fall this way this year uh i'm especially high on the draft this year um i was doing some research yesterday and there are uh, currently 31 players on uh, on the World Junior rosters who are eligible for the 2020 draft, and that's more players than there's ever been in any tournament ever for the World Juniors. So it really speaks to the quality of the 2020 draft this year. Of course, we look at guys like Quinton Byfield, Alex Lafreniere, um, but the depth just really goes past that. So if the Suns can get um, mm-hmm. a top pick this year, I think that'll go a long ways. And I think that also ties into Logan Brown as well. Um, if he ends up not... Um, progressing into that top one center role, um, getting a top two or three or five pick could uh, really give them a chance to draft um, a true first line center who could jump in the NHL as soon as next season. So um, that that may help provide some clarity on uh, on that situation as well. But uh, um, yeah, there, there's so much top talent at the draft this year that it's really going to be uh, um, great if they can get that top pick. And they might have two chances at getting that lottery pick. I mean, San Jose lost yeah. again last night. They're not looking great so far. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah t- two top picks. I mean, even if it's in the top 10 or two first round picks of any magnitude in this draft, it will, will end up being two fantastic players. So uh, yeah, it, it's, uh, it, it's kind of, uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it's a bit, t- for me, it's a bit tough to see the San Jose Sharks. I mean, as, as someone who will always be a fan of Carlos, and I, I, I still, uh, Hopefully he does the best, but uh, yeah, two top picks for the draft this year. It will be quite the chance. Mm-hmm. And for my for my last one, I'll just um, quickly say, I just hope that next season they they're gonna have a ton of money coming off the books. Um, you know, Anderson, I'm sure I he'll probably end up retiring next season. Um, uh, Callahan's coming off the books. I think there was another big one as well. There's there's definitely a lot of a lot of money coming off. Um, so they're going to have a ton of cap space. They might actually have to bring in a contract just to get to the floor. Um, so I'm just hoping that they use their cap space wisely and, you know, maybe even trade for a bad contract in order to, uh, you know, acquire a pick with that or something like that. Um, so, yeah, I just hope that uh, Dorian doesn't, you know, use that space to re-sign all of their UFAs and RFAs and then end up having not enough money for, for other players. So, um, yeah, I just, uh, 
I don't know, Haley, have you, have you looked at their roster for next season in terms of, like, do you think they actually will have to um, maybe bring in some external players in order to reach the floor? Or do you think they're going to be fine by just re-signing who they have? Um, I think they're like Pierre Dorian's going to have a really busy and Pierre Dorian and like Peter McTavish and their staff, they're going to be super busy. Um, Cause you mentioned Ryan Callahan, his 5.8 comes off the books and I believe so does Clark MacArthur's 4.6. Right, yeah. um, so I believe both of their um, long-term, like their LTI are, are coming off the books. So that's a lot, obviously. Um, and then the 10 UFAs, um, they also have, oh, how many they have? Uh, I think Anglin's in RFA next year, which is kind of surprising. Um, Nick Paul, JC Bodin, Chris Tierney, Connor Brown, Anthony Duclair, Brady Kachuk are all RFAs in 2020, 2021. Um, so it's going to be really busy. They have, they're going to have their work cut out for them. Um, not only just with the UFAs and, and looking at the UFA market, um, who are they going to sign, but then, you know, working with all their RFAs. So, yeah, I mean, I think for next season they have well, like so right now they have their contracts are 48 out of 50 but for next year i think they have maybe like 10 signed players no eight right now they have their yeah, roster eight. sizes <laughs> 24 standard player contracts um like they have eight eight players <laughs> signed for next yeah. year um so yeah they're gonna have a lot of work to do yeah, and it's um 24 standard player contracts, but eight players technically mm. on their NHL roster. <laughs> right, right, so. yeah, and that's that that's definitely a lot of flexibility, and there's a lot of ways that he can take yeah. that, and that's that's kind of scary in one sense because you know you don't want to see Dorian and, and the rest of the front office mess that up, but it's also exciting just to see how many different ways they can go and and where it'll take them. But uh, before we finish it up, is there is there maybe one other um, one other wish that you want uh, that you would have for Christmas this year? If not, I mean, I think we've exhausted our list. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I'm sure I could think of one. If you can, um, I mean, <laughs> I couldn't think of anyone either. I, so it's a. Uh... Yeah, I mean, I'm so new here, too, that I'm super careful with certain things just because I know there's a lot of uh, history and a lot of stuff in the last few years that um, I haven't been around for. But I think one thing I just wish for is that, you know, Sens fans can actually um, have fun watching and enjoying hockey. Mm -hmm. um, that's one thing that I've noticed, you know, especially when the Senators, they were kind of going on this run of winning a lot of games and and some of the stories were um, talking about, like, why you shouldn't be worried about the Senators winning because technically they're still really bad. And I think it's just, no, like, enjoy it. Like, have fun watching them win right now. You know, it might not always be like this, but that's a that's something that you're allowed to enjoy. Um, I know there's been a lot of things that haven't gone well here um, the last few years, certainly have shown that it's been difficult to be a Senators fan, but I think right now they're in a pretty good place. Um, just being on the inside, the players, the the vibe in the room, even they had lost five straight um, and on the ice, they were having so much fun. The guys are still really high energy. They're super energetic. Um, it's still before Christmas, so things could change, but the, the team is, you know, all things considered, doing really well. They're surprising people. The players are having fun. It's a really good 
atmosphere and environment at the rink every day. And I think Senators fans should be allowed to um, have fun and actually enjoy watching their team play. Um, I know it hasn't always been that way, and rightfully so. Fans have been upset with a lot of stuff, but I, I just hope for Christmas and, and going out of the holidays that um, fans can just enjoy the ride. And there's I like no, that. no drama. I like that because my, my next question was actually going to be, um, you know, what's your one final message for Senators fans as we head into Christmas and the new year? And, you know, you summed that up perfectly. Just enjoy, enjoy the season, enjoy the rebuild pretty much. Yeah, just have fun with it. I think you have a lot to look forward to. Um, like just looking at, like if you look at Belleville, like Josh Norris, um, Alex Formanton, Drake Batherson, like they're not here yet, but they're going to be in, I personally um, really like Josh Norris's game. He's someone that I'm pretty excited to see progress in and come to the NHL level. Um, and I just think that, yeah, like fans deserve to be able to enjoy this. And it seems like, and like I said, I'm brand new, so I want to be careful here. But, you know, you want to be careful because anything could happen and this could, you know, go up in flames. Um, <laughs> yeah you know, at the drop of a dime. And so, but I think where they're at right now and where they're kind of the direction they're moving to. And I think a lot of that comes from DJ Smith. Um, he's really instilled a really great environment and work ethic and some really good habits with these players in the environment. Um, and I just think that fans um, should be able to enjoy that. And I hope that they do. Awesome. Well, ending on that positive note, um, just, just last thing, can you let the listeners know where, where uh, we can find your work? Yeah, so all my work is on the Athletic Ottawa. Um, I tweet usually; it's probably pretty annoying. I'll post my stories a lot, um, <laughs> but yeah, I'm with the Athletic Ottawa, and you can find all my stuff there, or sometimes on the Athletic NHL page, uh, depending on the story. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on, Haley. Uh, we really appreciate it. And to all our listeners, we hope you have a happy holidays. Thanks, Haley. Thank you for having me. As I wrap it up, reminder that you can find the Cost Per Pointcast on iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. And if you really enjoy it, you can rate and review the podcast on those platforms as well. You can follow me on Twitter at ShaqTS, and you can follow Colin on Twitter at CudmoreColin, and read his articles at Silver7Sends. If you want to submit a listener question for an upcoming episode, send us a message at CPPointcast on Twitter, where you'll get any updates about the show. Colin and I want to wish everyone a Merry Christmas and a Happy Holidays, and we hope 2020 is an even better year. That's all for today. Adios.